But if you would turn to John chapter 2, that's where we're going to be today. We're going to wrap up this chapter, and, and, and I want you to understand what we're reading today. The, the wedding at Cana was last week. The cleansing of the temple is this week. And then next week, we're going to be getting into, uh, you know, the story of Nicodemus, right? And, and all of this is leading up to why Jesus came. He didn't come just to be a teacher or a rabbi, per se, but he came to be the savior of the world. And really, you know, we, we talk about the miracle at the wedding at Cana. We, we talk about Jesus cleansing the temple. But Jesus came to tell people the way, to show them that he is the way, the truth, the life. But look at chapter chapter 2, starting at verse 13. It says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. With the sheep and oxen, he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them. Listen to this. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said then, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. And when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. And when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your words. Father, we thank you for the story that we have to, to look at. It's, a, it's an account, Father, of a God who loved us so much, and, and he valued his church. He valued worship. He valued relationship with God so much that he wanted to cleanse that temple. God, I pray today if our temples are not where they need to be, Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us today. Lord, that you would make this church a, a powerhouse for you, not for our glory, but for yours. That, Lord, you would, you would use us all individually, in powerful ways, not for our glory, but for yours, God. We thank you that Jesus came. We thank you that he is truly the way, the truth, and the life. And we ask this in your name. Amen. And we look at this purging of the temple, right? I don't know, some, some, some of y'all may like, man, I like Jesus when he gets mad. It's kind of cool, you know? He builds a whip, you know? <laughs> I, I, I think the closest I've ever come to building a whip is probably just ripping my belt off, you know, to get after my kids. I don't whip with a belt, but you know what I'm saying. Like, you see Jesus, I mean, he, he constructs a whip, right? He, he builds this whip, and he, he takes it after these, these money changers and, the, and these people that are, are really just taking the, taking the wrong direction in worship, you know, it's like they, I don't even think it was so much the selling in the temple as much as it was their hearts. That The reason they were there was to make money. I mean, truly, it costs money to do stuff, right? I mean, it's like if we, if we go off this story and we say, well, we're not supposed to exchange money, so, well, we probably shouldn't give money, so we just won't have lights for the next 20 years, right? 
But that's not, that's not what's going on here. He's really looking at the heart of people. The, the heart of people was that they were far from God. They were just wanting to do whatever they wanted to do. And what made sense to them was that they would make some money on some pigeons. Now, wouldn't you hate to go to hell for selling pigeons? I think that'd be a terrible way. To, you know, why, why are you here? Well, I, I sold pigeons. We know it's probably a little deeper than that. But you get my point. It's, it's Christ is calling us to holiness. He's calling us to be people to follow him. And in this purging of the temple, we see that it really signifies the replacement of a religious system that relied upon these sacrifices. Jesus is coming along and he's saying, you know what? I'm going to be the sacrifice once and for all. I'm it. You follow me. You've been looking for Messiah. Well, guess what? I'm here. I'm here. There's three little points I got here that I think I want us to look at this morning just to kind of to gather our thoughts as to how do we approach life? How do you guys approach your Christian walk? Your, your Christian walk should be powerful. Everybody say amen. Man, we've got this idea in our heads. Like, well, if I go to church and I play the good boy, good girl, whatever, then everything's good. But I want you to understand today that God is calling us to live a life that is more abundant than we can ever imagine. He wants to see great things happening. God wants to, to work in you in ways that, that you can't even imagine. You know, we think, we think we, we know what's good, right? But God knows what's better. God has that ultimate plan. That first point I want us to look at this morning is that the believer, that's you if you know Christ today, the believer lives in reverence. What I see in the church today, I see a lot of people who are just not really reverent to the Lord or to the work or to God. They're just not real reverent. It's kind of like you, you just take a, a Christianity as a very generic thing and you treat it very cheaply. If I can go to church and I can feel good for a couple of hours, then the rest of the week I'm going to be okay. I can get through the rest of the week because I've got Netflix, I got Facebook, I got Snapchat, I got TikTok, I got all this stuff that's going to keep me happy throughout the week. But the truth of the matter is the only thing that's ever going to make you happy is Jesus. That's it. This stuff in the world, uh, yeah, it, it can be used for good. There could be fun in the world. You guys like watching sports? You like watching movies? You like having a, you know, a, catching a series? I, I read a thing this week. It said, you know, back in the day, like when I was a kid, like if someone said, hey, you want to sit down and watch a 10-hour movie, we'd been like, no way. Who wants to watch a 10-hour movie? But yet we sit down and watch, you know, two days of a series and binge it in during that time period. Now, that's the kind of world we live in today. And we feel like that's going to bring us happiness. You really think your lunch is going to bring you happiness when you leave this place? Now I got you thinking about food. But your only happiness you're going to have in life is, is Christ. And we must have a reverence for Jesus. The, the fear of the Lord, what we, what we learn in scripture, Proverbs chapter nine, it says the fear of the Lord is what? It's the beginning of wisdom. What I see in the world today, I see a lot of people walking around that are just wise guys, but they're not wise people. They're just cracking jokes and they're just living because they don't know if they're going to exist tomorrow or not. But church, hear me out. When we fear God, when we fear Him, when we and, and we understand what fear means here, okay? I know a lot of you may know this, but I want you to hear this because some people say, well, I don't want to fear. I don't want a God I fear. I don't want to be afraid of something. Fear in this, in this verse is really this word that we know is reverence. You're you're looking to God as, as who he truly is. You're, you're, you're treating him with respect. And, and that's really what we need to be. What we see in this Jesus cleansing the temple, we see Jesus going into that temple. And you know what he's doing? He's going in there and he's taking care of a problem. These people are not respecting God in any way. And he's like, we're going to nip this in the bud, right? 
Don't, don't imagine Barney Fife doing this, all right? But he's going into the temple, and he's, he's nipping it in the butt. He's like, you know what, guys? Here's the thing. We, we're going to just end this right here. This is not what this house is designed for. And honestly, this, even this house here, we're not designed to come here and just to please ourselves. You know, if, if you come this morning and, and you're not happy with the preaching and you're not happy with the worship, you know what? That's okay. That doesn't offend me if you come tell me that because we're not doing it for you anyways. We're doing it for the Lord, right? Worship is for Jesus. This word is, is God speaking to you. We have to get past the point. This is not like coming to a movie theater or a sporting event or a concert. You're coming here to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And in the church, with believers, we have to be reverent to who he is. It's, it's the, the simple point here. If you don't have reverence for God, then you're in the wrong state of mind, right? And by the way, you're not going to ever get wise because the beginning of wisdom is fearing God. That's where we have to be. Ecclesiastes, that wonderful book that so many people love. I preached a whole series out of this. But Ecclesiastes, the, the writer there, he tells us, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So he's been writing all this stuff, you know, like, like life's so terrible and it's so pointless and all this, right? And so he kind of gets to the end and he says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Can I say that again? Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. If you want to find happiness in life, I don't care if you're 12 years old, 10 years old, 2 years old, 80 years old, 90 years old, 150 years old. I don't care how old you are today. You will never find happiness in your life until you figure out that it is in living for God, fearing God, and keeping his commandments that you're ever going to find happiness. At the end of the day, you know, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is way, way more intelligent man than your pastor is. At the end of the day, that was his conclusion to everything. I need to fear God, and I need to keep his commandments. Quit letting the world bamboozle you into thinking that what the world says is right is right. There's a, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is death. So today, I, I implore you to, to, to push yourselves to live in reverence of God. Don't just say you're a Christian. You know, we, we kind of just, in America in particular, we say, well, we're Americans, so we're Christians. You know, that's kind of like how we are. It's like, well, it's just, it's so inbred into our culture that we're just like, well, since I, you know, since I have a voting ID card, then I must be a Christian. But that's not necessarily true, is it? Because you know, salvation is something that, that comes from God, is a calling from God upon your life in which he regenerates you and then you're able to walk in newness of life. But Jesus cleanses the temple that day because he fear, fear, fears that these people just have no reverence for God. Do, do you have reverence for God today? I mean, that's just a, that's a, that's an upfront question. And don't answer right now if you don't want to. But do you have reverence for God today? Do you really care what God thinks? I think a lot of people say, I love God, but then they'll turn and they'll leave this place and they'll go do the worst sins you can imagine. They'll leave, they'll leave this place and boy, heaven forbid somebody cut you off here in the parking lot. Cause you might just, you know, cuss them out. You just got done worshiping with them and you get out there and you're like, ah, don't do that. We need to be seeking a life of reverence that we, we understand that all people are created by God. Everybody say amen. I don't care like, you know, like what your religion is or like what, how you choose to live your life right now. As a believer, I'm going to choose to love you because I believe God can change you. It's not my job to judge you. You know, I think there's, there's times that we need to understand that, that God wants us to be the light to the world. 
Do we need to preach truth? Absolutely. Do we sugarcoat sin? No, never. But we need to be people who live with such reverence that we want to press the gospel wherever we go. Something we have to do. So the believer lives in reverence. The church, if, if I could say one thing as we're, you know, coming together and we're building this place up and we're, we're just enjoying life together. I mean, was the worship not awesome this morning? I just, I can't even sing some Sundays, Jesse. It's just like, what in the world? Would you quit singing these songs? I can't sing because it just makes me cry like a baby. But we gotta be people who live in reverence, right? We have to live in reverence. Not to Daniel, not to the Southern Baptist Convention, not to this church, not to the people sitting around you, but you live in reverence to God. Because in that, we're going to find wisdom. In that, we're going to find answers. In that, we're going to find peace. Because in that, we find that that's all that matters. If you love God, He's going to bless you in every area of your life. Even the stuff that doesn't make sense right now. The second point, the believer lives under Christ's authority. Now, I know everybody's, they want to get in these arguments. Well, you know, who's the head of the church? Is it the Pope? Is it the preacher? I'll tell you something. You know, I'm, I'm on like what they call a leadership team in this church, right? And it's just, it cracks me up, you know, because I can walk in there and say, we have some part of leadership here. Do you know who the leader of the church is? I'll give you a hint. It's not Daniel, okay? Like, it's Christ, right? Christ is the head of the church. It's his authority. You know, Jesus told his disciples, he says, how much authority is given to me? All. When, when he was about to, to be ascended into heaven, he said, all authority is given to me. And Christ is, is, is that person to us today. All authority is in Christ. And so what we see here is that Jesus, he tells these people, and I love this. They're like, hey, you know, what are you doing? How are you going to prove that what you're doing is right? And Jesus answered them. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Now, he's not talking about a building, is he? How long did it take you guys to remodel the sanctuary and the, you know, you're like, please don't remind us, right? <laughs> At Porum, we had a, uh, when I first came on there, we had a new fellowship building and it took us way too long to get completed, you know? And, uh, and it just took a long time to build it up, to do it right. We built it up and then we had problems and there's all this kind of stuff that goes on. But here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is not talking about the actual temple. He's talking about himself. He's giving them a picture as to who he is. You can tear this temple down, but I'm going to raise it right back up. What that tells me is that Jesus has authority. He's the only one that can do that. I don't think any of us go out here licking doorknobs and have, asking people to cough in our face and say, give me COVID. You know what? Because You can give me COVID, but in three days I'm going to raise myself up. None of us are doing that. No matter how you feel about COVID or vaccines or anything else, we, we all know that death is around the corner for us all. Amen? Can we say amen to that? We're not out here, you know, exposing ourselves to, to nuclear waste. Hopefully you're not out here driving like with your foot hanging out the door and, you know, hoping, well, let's see what happens here. I hope we don't do that kind of stuff. I believe we probably aren't because we know that we can't raise ourselves up, but who can do all things? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one that we live under his authority. It was a Yugoslavian proverb I was reading this week. I don't even know how I came across it. It was in some of my books that I was just kind of flipping through and reading, and I thought, that's interesting. But this Yugoslavian proverb, it says this, if you wish to know what a man is, place him in authority. If you wish to know who someone is, place them in authority. There's probably no greater example of that than Washington, D.C., amen? <laughs> 
If you want to figure out how somebody is, I, you know, I, I've seen it time and time again. I've worked with legislators within our state and, and you know, some of them will tell you, yeah, yeah, we're going to help you out. We're going to do this. The ones that actually do it, I have a lot of respect for those men, those women. But the ones who just kind of say yes, because that's what you want to hear, but then they never do anything about it, that bothers me. But the problem with man is that we want power. Problem with women is we want power. We, we want all of this. We want power. The truth of the matter is there's only one that has authority and power, and that's Jesus. All day long, we can want power. But what if God gave you power? A lot of us, there's probably a bunch of you in here today, it's like, why don't God just give me a million dollars? How cool would that be? Why don't God just give me the perfect life? Well, here's the thing. Only God has perfect authority. Only God is able to, to, do, to know all that there is. And so when it comes to who Jesus is, we need to quit asking the what is. So what if God gave me a million dollars? Now here's the thing. You need to be saying, God, would you grow me to be a person who lives after you, who fears you, who keeps your commandments, and who understands that you're in control? Christ is the head of the church. Everybody hear that. His work on the cross is what solidified what we're doing right now in this place. You guys aren't here to hear some famous rabbi or whatever, you know? That's not what we're here for. You, you may care for my preaching style or not. That, that's beside the point, you know? A, a number of men or women could stand up here and just and speak to you guys about who Jesus is. But the thing is, is that Jesus is the one that's in authority. It's him that we look to for reverence. It's, he, it's him that we look to for, for strength. Because the truth of the matter is, is that all men are, are faulted. We have humanity. Somewhere along the way, we're going to mess up. You guys believe that? David, I mean, he was chosen by God, was he not? To be king. And how many times did he mess up? You know, I mean, like major stuff. Like if, if David was a pastor today, you wouldn't even like rehire him. You know, you would just be like, get out the door. He did some terrible things. Can you imagine if your pastor like, you know, like had some woman's husband killed and then impregnated her? I, like that, it sounds like Facebook. I know. But, but the thing is, is that you wouldn't keep that pastor around, right? We're, we're in this middle of cancel culture and all that. It wouldn't happen. I read an article the other day where they're really wanting to cancel the life of David out of the Bible, some people. They're the one to go that extreme. You know, like, well, David was, you know, he, he raped Bathsheba and all this. They're wanting to talk about that instead of talking about the fact that God redeemed David. David wasn't known as a rapist, was he? I know these theologians, they, they mean well. They say, well, yeah, David raped Bathsheba. He used his power and all this. Hey, he probably did. But the story of the Bible is not about our failures. The story of God is and the story of the Bible is about who God is and his, and his work through Jesus Christ. There's redemption for mankind. Does everybody agree to that? That's what we're talking about this morning. This Jesus that I want us to talk about. I don't want us just to have somebody that we can just follow and say, "Well, I love Jesus." You know, you go home and you pray to a picture on the wall, and then that's your life. I want you to understand that Jesus wants to walk with you. Jesus wants to empower you. Jesus wants to to allow you to to do great things for His glory. In Colossians, we read this wonderful little passage. I love it. Colossians chapter 1. It talks about who Jesus is. And Paul writes it so beautifully. I didn't put it up. I was just, it was something I just threw up uh, uh, right at the end here. But Colossians chapter 1, it says, Who, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Amen? He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I think it's cool that Paul and John both write the same type of stuff about Jesus. It's interesting to me. Paul understood that Jesus was also creator, right? He's God. 
Verse 17, he says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. Everybody say head of the body. I mean, I know we live in a day and age where people don't want to have any authority over them. People don't want to have cops pulling you over anymore. I, I, I cannot, it blows my mind how people are so like anti-police today, you know? And, and I get there's, there's wrongs. There's always been wrongs. Don't, don't tell, don't tell us that. I mean, can you imagine being a Jewish person living, you know, during the time of Jesus and the Romans are going around and they just, they might slit your throat. They might not. That was the world they lived in. But really the bigger problem here, I don't really think it's police violence and all this. I think really the bigger problem that we have in America today is that people want to be their own boss and they want to do what they want to do. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. They don't want to have anybody over them. But the truth of the matter is, is that we have to be in control of ourselves. You can't just walk around out here and live willy-nilly. Well, I'll just, I'm going to drive as fast as I want. You know, you, you, can, you can say all day, well, I don't have to pull over. I don't have to pull over from a police officer. Well, keep driving and see what happens. You'll have about 50 police officers after you at that point. You know? And the world we live in, you'd probably end up being the good guy out of the situation. The truth of the matter is, what we see here is that Christ is in authority. And I think in the same way, stay with me here. I'm not getting political. I'm making a point. As people are in the world today, the church is imitating that. And we're acting like we're bigger than Jesus nowadays. What do you mean, Daniel? I love Jesus. I respect Jesus. Yeah, but do you live for Jesus? If you're coming to church so Jesus can serve you, that's wrong. How does this church serve me? That's wrong. God, I'll serve you as long as everything's going good. I'll tell you what, I've been through some really dark times in my life. If it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't have got through it. It was actually a time when my father passed away. There was about 30 minutes of my life that I said, God, if this is how you treat your believers, I'm done with you. That's literally what I said to God in the hospital when my dad passed away. I'm done. If this is how you treat me, I'm done. Well, thankfully, I serve a God who's smarter than me, a God who's in authority, <laughs> a God who's, who, who knows me. And he pulled me back. And he said, you know what? You're mine. I'm pulling you back. Quit being stupid and follow me. <laughs> Quit being dumb and love me. Quit being dumb and follow me. That's, that's, literally, that's like, like the conversation I feel like I had with God that night. Did it make it easier? No. All these years later, I still miss my dad. But what I do know is that Jesus is still on the throne. Amen? Man, I don't have answers to all this. I don't. I mean, people lose people in their life, and I'm like, I don't have words to tell you. You expect a preacher to have all these magic words. I'm going to just take your pain away. That's not how it works. This world is super broken. It's bad. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And when we come to a realization that Christ is in authority and we trust him, it's going to make it so much better. Because what we know is that in the end, Christ is going to redeem it all. How many of us today are ready to see loved ones that have gone on to see Jesus? And I am. I got people in my life, I'm like, I miss them. I got people who are dealing with disease right now, and I know they're going to pass away. And I know what, what lies ahead for the families. But what I also know is that Jesus is Redeemer, and He is the one that has, everybody catch this, all authority. Quit trusting in the stuff of this world. When I look at this, this story of Jesus, Jesus didn't walk in here. And I want you guys to catch this. I've heard preachers kind of preach it from this perspective that, that Jesus was like a, uh, I don't know, he's like a protester. You know, he's walking in the temple and he's mad. Or he's a baby, he's throwing a hissy fit. No, he's walking in there because that's his house. He walked in the church and he cleansed that temple because that was his place. He had every right to do that. 
And so if you're following Jesus, understand that the work that we do here in this church, we ought to have a reverence for it. You know, if we're gonna, if we're gonna commit to, to being a member here, don't get mad at me, okay? Just hear me out. But if we're gonna commit to membership here, let's act like it. Like, let's act like we love Jesus, you know? Let's be committed to Christ more than anything, even more than this church. This church can and will grow when we put ourselves 100% on the line for Christ. And we understand that He deserves all reverence and that He is actually in control here. I believe God's gonna do good stuff, don't you, church? And I see him doing stuff already. It's, it's just wonderful. If you guys are bored this Friday night and after the basketball game, we're going to have laser tag next door. I think that's super cool, man. I mean, I, I just, you know, I wish I'd came up with that idea, this, the whole laser tag thing, but, but that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? We're, and, and everybody's like, well, laser tag. Well, you, we're going to talk to, we're going to talk about Christ. I guarantee it. We have an opportunity on Friday night to, to bring McLeod schools to our campus. Yeah, to have fun, eat pizza, all that, but also to let them know who Jesus is and to let them know that there's a better authority in the world. There's one authority, and his name's Jesus. Be praying about that, would you guys? That God would just open up doors. Of course, Wednesday nights, every Wednesday night, well, we, you know, we reach out to the youth, we reach out to the kids, the adults are here. I think that we need to be a people, and this kind of leads up to our last point, we need to be a people who are living in constant expectation. What do you mean by that? Well, here's the thing. The believer lives in expectation. Well, I think a lot of us, maybe, we get saved and we're happy that we're saved. You ever been there? I'm so happy I'm saved. I'm, I'm so happy I'm not going to hell. <laughs> I'm so happy that I, I look Baptist. You guys like my Baptist jacket this morning? Isn't that nice? I look like a, a proper Baptist pastor today. We don't, we don't wear dress pants anymore. We just wear jeans. It's whatever pastor wears, I don't know. But the thing is, is that, you know, we, we get so caught up on that stuff. We get so caught up on what we look like, on, on what church sounds like, on what the church looks like. We forget that we need to be living in expectation that God's wanting to do some big stuff. We get caught up that heaven's around the corner. I'm excited for heaven. I've already mentioned that. I'm ready to see people that have gone on. But in the meantime, I believe you and I need to be living in expectation that God's going to do something, that God's going to do some awesome works. We should be expecting that, you know, this church, is as good as these numbers are today, this is not the, the big plan for God. God wants this to maybe be two or three times over. I mean, I don't know what you guys brought me on as pastor. I didn't want to come and just kind of maintain. And I know you guys didn't want that either, amen? So as we're here, I, I look at this, I, like, I live in expectation. As we were singing songs this morning, I'm like, I'm overcome with tears because I'm just thinking about what God is about to do. What God wants to do, if we would understand today his authority, if we would understand his, his deserved reverence that we should show to him, then we also we should be living in expectation that God's going to do some good stuff. And, and it's, it's all, you know, we're doing a lot of start from scratch kind of stuff right now. You have a, you know, a life group or small group. You have a couple show up. Fast forward a few, a few months of us all as a church being faithful in all these ministries, I believe God's going to be glorified in this. What's the call here? Well, back to Ecclesiastes. Fear God, right? Fear God. Do you fear God? Do you reverence Him? And keep His commandments. We've got to be people who, who live that type of life. We don't just say it. We don't just say, yeah, I'm a Baptist. 
We just kind of do whatever we want. No, we, we are people who love Jesus with our whole heart. And the believer lives in expectation. The believer lives in not just an ex- expectation for the future, but they live in expectation of what is God going to do now? What's he going to do this coming week? I was super pumped. I told you guys, you know, we got this opportunity coming up maybe to go to Turkey. And then I'm, I'm flipping through uh, the news last night, and I see where there's a, <laughs> a radical Islamic extremist group based out of Turkey that was reporting on what we did yesterday as a, as a nation in Syria. And I was like, oh, well, great. You know, that's just, that's just beautiful. Let's just go into a part of the world where they're, you know, uh, doing terrible things. That's a terrible expectation. You know, God calls us places for a reason, doesn't he? Is God, does he have authority to protect us? Boy, he does. Does he have does he have authority? Does he have power? Does he have the does he have that ability to to make things happen to to equip us with what we need to know? And I believe he has it here for us in this big town of McLeod too. We're, of course, we're fighting with sickness. We're fighting with you know all this kind of stuff that's going around. The thing is, is we just need to be constant in season to out of season. We need to make sure that today that we are living for Christ, that we're living for him, and that we have an expectation that God's going to do something good. Like, I fully expect that God's going to continue to bless this fellowship, that we're going to be a church that continues to support missions, that we're going to be a church that continues to send people out. We're going to be a church that continues to raise up leaders from within our church. We're going to see people come here and accept Christ and enter the waters of baptism and live lives that are pleasing to God. I believe that that's my expectation I'm not the pastor that's like, well, what's the number? You know, we need to, you know, we need to figure out how we're going to break the 200 barrier, right? I mean, that's a goal. But honestly, I need to be more concerned about the work that we're doing in people's hearts, the way that we're discipling them. The church needs to be heavily involved in the present expectations of his goodness. Guys, don't just be looking towards the future. I love Southern gospel music. I do. Love it. I love the old, the old songs, the, you know, the, the old songs. The, the thing is, most of those old songs are about dying. You ever, you ever notice that before? You know, I'll fly away. That's not about, you know, going to a vacation in the Bahamas. It's about dying, right? Most of those old songs are all about dying. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. But I, I think a lot of times maybe we're just focused on that and that's it. We're not focused on everybody else that's still dying right now. We need to be people who are living in the moment and proclaiming the gospel in the moment. Here's a world, guys, that is lost, a world that is broken, a world that has no hope. Guys, we should be expecting that grace and mercy can be moving in our society right now. I love the thought that, you know, a world revival could start right here in our church. I believe that. I believe that if we humbled our hearts, that we, we got to where we needed to be, that when we come to prayer meeting, we're not just doing prayer meeting because, well, it's Wednesday night. We better have a prayer meeting, you know. Eileen, you better get that prayer list out and we won't be able to pray, you know. <laughs> a prayer meeting shouldn't be all, all dependent upon a prayer list or how many people are here. It's when people come together and they bow before the Lord and they say, God, we understand that you are in authority. We understand that you deserve all reverence and we understand that you're in control and we want to be living for you. That's, that's the Christian walk. And what we see here in this example of Jesus clearing the temple, it's really just the example of what it's supposed to be. 
the, the Jewish people, they'd, they missed it. They're thinking, well, we've got to have the perfect pigeons and the perfect sheep, perfect oxen, the perfect cattle. We have everything perfect. Hey, we'll even bring in money changers because we got people coming from all different parts of the world so we can easily exchange money. I mean, this was like the modern day, you know, use of like debit cards or something. They were, they were making everything super convenient for people to come and do what they felt they needed to do. But God doesn't want that. He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. He wants us to be people who, who live and follow him in spirit and in truth. Jesus wasn't one to mix words here. He said, you know what? You can kill me. And really, he's kind of he's coming back at them here. You, you can kill me, even though they didn't catch it. You can kill me, but I'm going to raise myself up. Because he knew what these people were going to do. Can you imagine what it was like to go around and preach good news? To go around and, and to love people, to feed people, to heal people, and to know that they were going to cheer for you to die. That would be tough, wouldn't it? You know, coming as your pastor, I mean, if, if I was to come here and I, somebody told me, yeah, in about six months, they're going to tell you they don't like you and they're going to run you out on a rail, you know. I probably wouldn't have came back in August, right? I probably should have because the Lord called me here, but... Humanly speaking, I'd be like, well, why would I go somewhere where people are going to be terrible to me, which you guys are nothing but wonderful to me? Jesus, he came anyways. He came knowing what these people were going to do to him. And and the reason is because he had authority. He didn't have to worry about what these little people said. Hey, I'm God. (laughs) You can say what you want, but here's what's going to happen. I'm the one that's in control here. Well, when you're looking at this, this, this picture of who Jesus is, he's really just talking about, you know, how if, if we understand who Jesus is in this situation, that he's not just a protester, he's not just a baby crying. He's a person who, who loves us so much that he was, he was God in flesh. He come for us so that we might have an abundant life. And so today, the call for the church is that we need to, let's go through it again. We live in reverence. This, this needs to be something we as a church say, you know what? Yes. And it shouldn't be something where the church has to force you to do something. I don't want that, and I don't think that'll ever happen. But for believers to grow, for churches to grow, we must be 100% fully in reverence of God. We also need to be understanding who the authority is. It's Jesus. He's the one that we live under. As far as I know, he's the only one that went to the cross and died for our sins. Amen. And of course, we need to be a people of expectation. You know, as we come together... I want us to think about this. A couple weeks ago, we were going to have this planning meeting, and this is really kind of the point that I was, you know, reason we were doing the planning meeting. We're still going to do the planning meeting, but let's let the weather and sickness and all that calm down a little bit. But I believe as a church, you and I ought to be expecting some great things to happen this year. You know, when I look to the future about all the stuff that we're going to do, I mean, I hope, I hope there's VBS this summer. Don't you guys? I think it's, a, I think it's valuable. I think our, our, I think our community needs it. I know Falls Creek's happening. I'm still trying to find the logistics logistics out for kids camp, but I want it to happen too, right? I'll even go to kids camp. I love camp, right? We talk about, uh, you know, what what are we going to do for like our seniors uh, when they graduate this year? Is there something we can do as a church? What what do we do for those who are not able to come to church or don't feel comfortable coming to church? So how can we continue to encourage them? You know what I mean? There's, there's expectations we should have. Like, like what, what do we think God can do in this community? We can't expect just to sit here and listen to Brother Daniel in this closed room with the window shut 
You can't expect us just to do this and to leave and, and God to grow this church. We have to get outside. We have to be, you know, shooting lasers at kids, which I, I'm going to enjoy that thoroughly. I cannot wait to shoot some lasers at kids this week. Don't quote just that because that sounds really terrible. I'm going to shoot my son with a laser. <laughs> As soon as he wakes up. All right. But the thing is, is what we know is, is, is God is the one that's in control. God is the one that lives in expectation for us to follow him. And he wants that. God desires that. And so we should be living in expectation. You know what? God's going to do something really good this Friday night. God's going to do something really good Wednesday night. A lot of times we come to church Wednesday night. And what are we? We're tired. Yeah, I get it. We're tired. It's been a long week. We're tired. You got kids, you got all this stuff going on, you're tired, but we should be expecting God to do great things. Next Sunday morning, don't just come saying, well, we're going to have music and have a preaching and then we'll pray and leave. No, come expecting to see God do something great. That's the God we serve. We, we, we've so, we're so just lost in the thought that, well, you know, it's just good to be in the house of the Lord. Don't make me stand up and clap my hands, Daniel. You know, don't make me stand up and pray. We just want to be comfortable. Guys, we need to be expecting that God's going to do something good because who he is. I didn't make this a point, but I just thought this was cool there at the end. Um, the last little section in the, in the passage there, it says that Jesus knows man. And if you need any reason, maybe a little push to understand that Jesus is the way, Jesus here, he's dealing with people and, he, and it makes that statement that he knew what was in man. Do you realize Jesus knows who you are? Right? I know that that sounds, I don't want that to sound weird or anything like that. But Jesus knows who you are. He created all things, right? So everybody say, he created me. The Savior of the world that created you knows you. He knows what you deal with. He knows the, the, the temptations you have. He knows the, the, the bad attitudes you might have. He knows the, the failures you might have in your life. He knows the, the pain that you're going through. He knows the sickness that you're going through. But that same Jesus that knows you on that level, he calls you today to live in peace with him. Can we do that? I mean, it's, it's like if God's calling us today, then why would we ever turn away from it? Why would we ever say, no, I don't want that? Christ is all authority. Christ is deserved to be revered. Christ, Christ is the one that is going to do great things, and we expect it. you guys agree with me with that? We should expect great things. And what I love in all that is that Jesus knows us.